Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Eighteenth of March, Thursday. Today has been filled with the kind of skies in which rooks exult, throwing ragged silhouettes upon the beating wind. Ecstatic heraldry. Breathe deep if you can. Things are not all right, nor will they be, but there are signals of joy, like a bush burning in the wilderness. This is the narrowboat 506812, lying peacefully on a calm spring night under a quartered moon. Welcome aboard. How are you? Well, you join me on a still night. Earlier, as the dusk was beginning to gather, a flight of geese in loose formation cut the sky in those careless seamstress darts, and those who are staying are beginning to settle down into pairs nesting. A couple of geese have been hanging around here, although they've been frequently shepherded out of the way by the swans. And now the still air is broken by the odd quacks and chunterings of disturbed ducks, and always that spring sound, as the chasm of the night rings with the antiphonic calls of lamb and you. The wind has been continuing to swing round the compass rose, and there's a little observation in the book Weather Law of the Sea, published at the turn of the last century, that says during the month of March, the saying is that however long the wind blows from the southeast, the northwest pays it back. And that certainly seems to be being borne out at the moment. Those turning points in the year are slowly being passed, and although there is often some confusion or debate about when spring starts, meteorologically it starts on the 1st of March, but quite often the spring equinox, the vernal equinox on the 21st of March is taken to be the first day of spring. And actually I'm reminded about a piece of weather law or perhaps botanical law, that I'd forgotten. And I came across it when I was looking at Lisa Schneidau's Botanical Folk Tales of Britain and Ireland. And she records it as coming from Cambridgeshire, but I think it's wider than that. And that is, it isn't spring until you can plant your foot on 12 daisies. Well, round here, I haven't come across many daisies as yet although there are definite signs of spring beginning to turn. And we might have to wait a little bit longer for what Schneidau describes as the green mist of spring. But it is on its way, and it seems that lots of people are finding comfort and hope in seeing the earth spring back into life. And it's captured so wonderfully and powerfully in Wendell Berry's poem, Another Descent. 
Through the weeks of deep snow we walked above the ground, on fallen sky. As though we did not come of root and leaf, as though we had only air and weather for our difficult home. But now, as March warms, and the rivulets run like birdsong on the slopes, and the branches of light sing in the hills, slowly we return to earth. But this balance characterized the equinox of light and dark, and of even of wind, seemed to be strangely out of place in what turned out to be quite an unsettling week. On Tuesday morning I began to experience a rapid deterioration in vision in my right eye, so bad that I had to cancel meetings and lectures, and uh, we feared that it was a detached retina, but day spent at the hospital suggests that nothing serious, but my eye still is not right, and I got an appointment at the ophthalmologist on Monday. And we were also trying to finalise the details for blacking the boat at the end of the month, and this will involve taking the Erica out of the water with a crane, and that necessitates finding alternative accommodation, and that's not easy uh, at the time of COVID restrictions. And there's also so many moving parts that it's difficult to actually organise, but we are getting there. Blacking is a technique that uh, is used to protect the hull of painting it with this um, protective finish and it needs to be done every two or three years and we had hoped that we could get it done last year before moving aboard but COVID got in the way and uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll plan to go through the process in a future episode and hopefully also have some photographs of the uh, whole process. And it also might mean that I will need to be off there for perhaps a week or even two. We're not quite sure how long the process is going to take because it's very dependent upon weather and lots of other things. And so with all this uncertainty, uh, it's been particularly nice to hear from you and hear your news. It's lovely to catch up with Mark Dexter, the Wood End Wanderer on board his ship outside Tenerife and he was involved in activities which are familiar to anybody who lives on a boat of waste disposal and filling up with water and all the other necessary services going on but obviously on a much much larger scale and if you want he's taken some photographs of it and if you want to have a look at them they they're on his Instagram page. Um, just look for Wood End Wanderer. And it's lovely to hear from Mark, and I really appreciate it and the, the nice things that you said. And I love the comment that you made about the, the difficulties or challenges of trying to talk to people that you can't see. And you're saying how uh, you often talk to passengers on the public address system. And the pinnacle of your 42 years at sea was to be praised by one of the more frequent travellers who hailed from Cheltenham. You would make a perfect annunciator at Waterloo Station, she informed me. And being the crusty and rather formidable character that she was, 
I took that as worthy praise indeed. And I think you're absolutely right. Take that one for a win, Mark. And it was lovely to have the opportunity to meet up with another fellow podcaster, Patricia Carswell, who has the Girl on the River podcast about rowing. And it's lovely to meet up with you, Patricia. Thank you for contacting me. And I look forward to be able to do something perhaps uh, in the future. And Patricia is unfortunately exiled from the river at the moment because of the COVID restrictions. Um, but once you're back on the waters, then um, hopefully we can, we can be able to get together and do something. And thank you so much, Matthew, Matthew Brusso, for leaving that lovely review on the Nighttime on Still Waters Facebook page. Uh, really appreciate it and really touched by your kind words. And uh, I, I sort of know Matthew as MJ Brusso on Twitter, and it was sort of lovely to, to, to meet up with you a little bit anyway on the Facebook page. So, so thank you so much for that. And I hope you continue to enjoy these podcasts. Another old listener, Olivia from Massachusetts, got in contact with me and uh, actually asked me a really interesting question. She said she was curious, have I ever lost anything into the canal? And if so, was I able to get it back? And actually, at the moment, no, no nothing serious at any rate, but it's only going to be a matter of time. Um, I, I think it happens to everybody. And poor old Olivia said that on our first holiday, she writes this, on our first holiday, the throttle handle popped off the higher boat and fell right into the water, instantly sinking. I mean, it's not funny, but <laughs> what, what an awful thing to happen on your holiday. But anyway, it ended up ended up okay uh, because they borrowed a vice grip from a kind boater whose boat was painted like animal from the <laughs> Muppets. So it's nice that animal at least came to the rescue there and you, and you got it back. Mum always used to quote one of her art teachers from school who used to say there are no straight lines in nature. And that's very much true. And neither are there many hard fixed lines or boundaries. Things either merge and quietly transition or transform from one thing into another or they just simply ebb and flow. Distinctions and demarcations, if we can find any, are usually human-made. And our calendars and programs and plans and schedules like and to a certain extent depend upon those clear demarcations, boundaries, distinctions of when one thing ends and another starts. When one day, month, season, year starts and ends, even though it may be arbitrary. And who of us didn't, even fleetingly, welcome 2021 as if the crossing of that midnight threshold would see the ending of our troubles and usher in a new, perhaps easier time. And right now we are slowly transitioning and moving from winter to spring and it's messy and ragged. 
The ancients viewed it as a, a cosmic or climatic battle. And even in this movement and this dance of seasons, there is this element of ebb and flow where we go forward and then appear to go back. And even with the strong suns that we are having, it takes a long time to thaw out those icy bones of winter, and the cold can leach into our spring days, just as the pulse of warmth can bleed into those winterish days. And so sometimes days like these can feel a bit like a no-man's land, a limbo of the elements. But it's not really, it's just that flow, that nomadic, unceasing cycle, that continuous movement that we're so much a part of that we seldom see it. It's our natural environment. And the gales have peppered the air with catkin pollen and and pillows of blackthorn blossom scent the air, and thick tufts of emerald burst amongst the brown rattle of last year's reeds, nettles and dandelion, plantain, goosegrass. But this messiness often doesn't seem to sit well with our modern sensibilities and mindset. And I think this year, it's not helped by each of us uh, having to negotiate our life as we come out of lockdown restrictions and those uncertainties and ambiguities that we face, the shifting ecologies of our social and working lives. And it's not surprising that so many of us feel somehow slightly off kilter. Our goals and plans and dreams seem to hang tenuously, almost as if the constellations of our universe have somehow come unhinged and are hanging loose in our skies. And two things really brought this home to me this week. The first one was I was talking online with some of my students in one-to-one tutorials and they're initially so full of life and energy and enthusiasm. And suddenly they'd stop and say, actually, I'm not okay. I'm struggling and I, I don't know how to go on. I'm not sure how I'm going to get to the end of this. And expressing all that feeling of guilt and failure that comes with those thoughts and emotions. And the other time was I was being asked to judge a poetry competition that's been run by the university and students and staff uh, have been invited to submit their poems. And the, 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 the poetry competition is, 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 is open. It's, there's not a particular subject or topic to write a poem about. And I was so struck that so many poems reflect this feeling of struggling. And more than that, of actually of failing, of in some way feeling that they failed, of 
hiding behind a mask, of wanting to take that mask off, but not being brave enough to do that, of being trapped. The entries are obviously anonymous, so I, I don't know who wrote them, and I don't know whether which are staff and which were students. But it was interesting and a real eye-opening experience. And again, it reinforces that truism that has often been circulated on social media that we were all struggling in our own ways and give ourselves slack and give each other a little bit of slack as well. And we may be responding in a different way, but we're all coming from that position of trying to find our way through this particular winter into our springs. And also just that need for some kind of reassuring contact. And I was reading, quite coincidentally, W.H. Hudson's um, Shepherd's Life and came across a little passage there which I think probably many of us can understand in a richer and a perhaps more deeper way than we would have done before the experiences of COVID hit us. In his book, Hudson is recording the lives of the shepherds on the Wiltshire Downs. And in many respects, it's a rather romanticized and idealistic elegy for a type of life that he sees is disappearing. He spends quite a lot of time extolling the beauties of the South Downs and the chalky landscape of those rolling, flowing hills. But he also notes that in some weathers that they are not necessarily the, the most romantic of places to be. And he writes, In all places, in all weathers, there is a pleasure in the open air, except on these chalk hills, because of their bleak nakedness. There the wind and driving rain are not for, but against you, and may overcome you with misery. One feels their loneliness, monotony, and desolation on many days, sometimes even when it's not wet, and I here recall an amusing encounter with a bird-scarer during one of these dreary spells. It was in March, bitterly cold, with an east wind which had been blowing many days, and overhead the sky was a hard, steely grey. I was cycling along the valley of the Ebel, and finally leaving it, pushed up a long steep slope and set off over the high plain by a dusty road with the wind hard against me. A more desolate scene than the one before me it would be hard to imagine, for the land was all ploughed and stretched away before me, an endless succession of vast grey fields divided by wire fences. On all that space there was but one living thing in sight. A human form, a boy, far away on the left side, standing in the middle of a big field with something which looked like a gun in his hand. Immediately after I saw him, he too appeared to have caught sight of me, 
for, turning, he set off, running as fast as he could over the ploughed ground towards the road, as if intending to speak to me. The distance he would have to run was about a quarter of a mile, and I doubted that he would be there in time to catch me. But he ran fast, and the wind was against me, and he arrived at the road just as I got to that point. There, by the side of the fence, he stood, panting from his race, his handsome face glowing with colour, a boy of about twelve or thirteen, with a fine strong figure, remarkably well dressed for a bird scarer, for that was what he was, and he carried a queer heavy-looking old gun, and I got off my wheel and waited for him to speak, but he was silent, and continued regarding me with the smiling countenance of one well pleased with himself. Well, I said, but there was no answer. He only kept on smiling. What do you want? I demanded impatiently. I don't want anything. But you started running here as fast as you could the moment you caught sight of me. Yes, I did. Well, what did you do it for? What was the object in running here? Just to see you pass, he answered. It was a little ridiculous and vexed me at first, but by and by when I left him after some more conversation, I felt rather pleased, for it was a new and somewhat flattering experience to have any person run a long distance over a ploughed field burdened with a heavy gun just to see me pass. But it was not strange in the circumstances. His hours in that grey windy desolation must have seemed like days, and it was a break in the monotony, a little joyful excitement in getting to the road in time to see a passer-by more closely, and for a few moments gave him a sense of human companionship. And I think many of us can identify with that encounter, and over the past year or so, we have at times been that small boy in that vast, desolate, grey field, beaten by a cold wind. And at others, we've been the man on the bicycle. But we realise how precious and special those fleeting moments of contact are and how significant they are. And just really that reminder that despite sometimes how we might feel, we're not on our own. And the equinox has passed. Spring, even if it does appear to drag its feet from day to day, is on its way. The days are getting lighter and warmer, and colour is returning everywhere. And so from a small boat in the middle of a spring night, this is Narrowboat Erica signing off for the night and wishing you a warm, peaceful and restful night. Good night. Temperature outside 8 degrees. Inside 24 degrees. Humidity 81%. Dew point 
6 degrees. Wind direction northwest. Wind strength 6 miles per hour. Barometric pressure 1029.5 steady. Cloud cover 91%. Cloud ceiling 40,000 feet. Precipitation nil. Moon phase 43.4%. Waxing crescent. Day length 12 hours 11 minutes. Sunset 1819. Sky casting 606.